by AM640. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. It is Sunday afternoon. We got two hours together, you and me. You ready? What you doing on this beautiful Sunday afternoon? It was hard for me to leave the beach. I mean, it wasn't on the sand, but I live over there in Venice and come into the valley. Nice air-conditioned studio. How are you doing today, Joey? Pretty good. Not, good. not as cool as you. I know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm cool. Uh, for those who have not listened to my show before, uh, I have a PhD in clinical psychology. I am, I am obsessed with the science of human mating, but also all our relationships, our relationships with our children, our relationships with our stuff. Um, there's an area of psychology called attachment theory that I'm particularly most interested in and how it plays out in our life. But also health, because I teach health psychology at California State University Channel Islands. Go Dolphins! And uh, actually, in the next segment, I want to talk a little bit about our health and aging well. I hate the term anti-aging. I like pro-aging or aging well. Um, later in the show, I want to talk about ASMR. Are you a, an ASMRer? If you are, you know it because you get the tingles. <laughs> How's that for a tease, Joey? Oh, <laughs> Millions of people listen to ASMR on YouTube, and Joey is shaking his head and rolling his eyes, so he will explain his side of it when we get into it. Um, and at the very end of our show, we're going to do my regular segment, Should I Stay or Should I Go? So if you're in a relationship where you're on the fence and you're not sure whether uh, there's enough warm fuzzies or too many cold pricklies, then uh, at around 5.30, we'll be taking your calls on that. So stay tuned. All right. Can we talk about online dating and what has happened in the world as far as choice is concerned? I always go back to our hunter-gatherer past. What is normal for our biology? And those of you who say, oh, haven't we evolved? Yes, we have, but we evolve at a much slower rate than uh, industry and uh, our culture and our environment has changed. And what evolution is, is, of course, an, an adaption to our environment. But our environment changes at a much quicker pace than our biology does. So um, it used to be when we were hunter-gatherers that we spent most of our lives looking for food and trying to not get killed by because we were also food to many others. Trust me, we are not on the top of the food chain. And uh, we hung around with a group of maybe... 30 to 35 people, and we were moving, moving encampments. And those 30 to 35 people were mostly related to us, uh, cousins, sisters, brothers, uncles, parents, grandparents, what have you. And every once in a while, some high testosterone hunters from another tribe would wander into our encampment, and we would get very excited. We would sit up and take notice, mainly because they smelled differently, uh, because their pheromones indicated that they had different immune systems than ours. And when two people get together, um, they might take brown eyes from one, curly hair from another, um, long legs from another, except immune systems. They combine to create a stronger person. And how do we know that our mate has a different immune system than ours? They smell delicious. I would just say that. So in our entire lifespan, as we roamed around, we probably never laid eyes on more than 150 humans in our entire life. So mates were hard to come by. They were scarce. Therefore, we are wired to sit up and take notice when anybody who is not our brother or sister shows up. Well, fast forward to today, where there are thousands of mates just a thumb swipe or mouse click away. And there are so many different dating apps and websites. And I also just want to pause here and say, if you're happily married, Congratulations, but not to frighten you. Also because of our very long lifespans, we will find that even the most monogamous of humans, and anthropologists suspect that's about 50% of us, uh, even the most monogamous, I'll get it out, monogamous of humans will have two or three long stints of monogamy in their lives with some mate selection in between. We quaintly call mate selection dating. So just to say you're happily married, great I hope it is until death do you part. However, when till death do you part was invented, death was pretty imminent. So what we have today during our mate selection is what I consider a paradox of choice. 
Do you remember that book, The Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz? Um, well, it can apply to online dating. The more choice a human being has, the harder it is to settle on one choice. Have you ever gone through a long buffet in Las Vegas and chosen one entree? No, of course you didn't. You had a little bit of ham, a little bit of beef, some chicken, add some pasta, have some salad. Before you know it, you have done all of Tinder (laughs) by the end of that Vegas buffet. So how do you mess or manipulate the paradox of choice? Well, in his book, The Paradox of Choice, Barry Schwartz talks about two things, uh, maximizers and satisfiers. And he's quoted as saying that maximizers treat relationships like clothing, right? We're looking for that perfect fit. And I actually heard a woman talking this week about choosing a wedding dress. And she said she suffered from this paradox of choice because there are also many wedding dress retailers, wedding dress magazines, wedding dress websites. And she realized that she had to choose a good enough wedding dress, or she was going to drive herself nuts, believing that there was a better one always out there and that she was leaving a better dress on the table. And the same thing applies to our dating life. Because the other thing that Barry Schwartz talks about are satisfiers. And satisfiers are people who know a good thing when they see it. They don't obsess over the what ifs, the shoulda, coulda, woulda, The what else is up there? When I hear, you know, I do sometimes some dating coaching with people here and there. It's definitely not my primary business, and it's mostly with friends. But um, when I hear somebody say, well, you know, he seems great, but I want to keep my options open. When I hear that sentence, I want to keep my options open, I'm like, "Mm, that's a maximizer, not a satisfier. Now, if you think a satisfier is somebody who is settling, for something not so great, not always. Satisfiers have very high standards, and they know a good thing when they see it, and they stop. All right, that's all I want to say about this. When we come back, let's talk about aging well. Three behaviors proven by science to keep you young. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Amy King, do you have the news for us? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Feel free to follow me online everywhere. Remember, I have that young nephew who's an EDM DJ, and I always have to beat him in Instagram followers just to show him that grown-ups can have an Insta as well. The handle everywhere is Dr. Wendy Walsh. That's D-R Wendy Walsh, W-A-L-S-H. And that's Facebook, that's Instagram, that's Twitter. I know I set up a Snapchat once, but I don't use it so much. I, I don't know why. I'm just, But I love my Instagram lately. I've been taking pictures of my flowers and my food and putting recipes up there and trying to make it all color. Hey, let me know if you like the way it looks. Um, all right, enough of that. Let us talk about aging well. I'm a wee tad obsessed with this. Yes, I'm the one at the dinner table who says, I can't eat that. Uh, Only after a cardiologist, of course, put me on that low-carb, high-fat, moderate-protein keto diet, paleo, keto, whatever you want to call it. Uh, And my energy level went up, and I feel great. But the real reason I'm obsessed with aging well is because my parents were diagnosed with cancer at about my age. I lost both my parents when I was 30. In the same year, breast cancer, lung cancer. My mother also had had a chronic illness, lupus, most of her life. And so it's a weird thing when you sort of surpass the age of healthy parents and you think to yourself, I don't have a model for aging. I don't know what that is. Life is supposed to end now, right? Because that's what I know. So that's why I became a little obsessed. Also, I teach psychology of health counseling at Cal State Channel Islands. And in that course, it's not just a biological course. In fact, I'd say the smallest part of it is biology. It's mostly psychology and social, our social part, our sociology, our social support. So I read the science 
I'm obsessed with the science, so I'm here to digest it for you very simply. There are three scientifically proven ways to stay younger and live longer. And the first one I know you know. You've heard it a thousand times. You let it go in one ear and out the other. Or you follow the advice and you see the benefits of it. And I'm talking about good old-fashioned exercise. I don't care what it is. Make it convenient and make it regular. And it's good for every cell in your body. It's good for brain health. It's good for uh, muscle regeneration. I'll get the word out. Rejuvenation? No, regeneration. There, I got it. (laughs) Um, It basically convinces your cells to replicate over and over. And that's what we need to do is replace our cells. Um, Okay, let's talk about psychology. Some of us, like me, are a type A personality. We instantly flare up when stuff becomes stressful. We go into action as if it's like a fight or flight moment. Which are we going to do? And so we have to work a little harder with our stress coping skills. In my case, I do two things. I do mindful meditation. I make sure I get enough sleep. I am a sleep whore. I love to sleep. Did I insult sex workers there by saying that? No, I didn't use it derogatory. I used it in a good way. Um, And uh, the other thing I do is I try to reframe my problems. I look down and go, you know what? These are high class problems. Or you know what? People are having a much worse life than me. Or, you know what? I have a good brain. I'm going to figure out a solution to this. I set back. And finally, and this is the area I'm really obsessed with, is our social lives. Did you know feeling lonely, experiencing isolation for long periods of time, is as detrimental to your health as obesity and smoking? Now, This does not mean that you must be in a traditional one-on-one, bonded-forever marital dyad. Oh, listen to that textbook psychobabble word. Uh, A marriage, a partnership, a couple. It doesn't necessarily mean that. What it means is you need to have emotional intimacy with a handful of people. You need to have friends around you. If you came from a family who brings you more stress... As I like to say, the reason why your family members push your buttons so well is because they installed them. Uh, Or, so you think you're so enlightened? Go spend some time with your family. (laughs) Yeah, they will light us up. But we friends are the family we choose. And friends will be the ones we can exchange care with all the way to the end. So, work out your body, manage stress well, and have good social support, and you will live forever and ever and ever. Okay, when we come back... I want to talk about ASMR, and if you do not know what ASMR is, you better listen because it's huge online. On the other hand, if you do do ASMR, do you feel the tingles? I'm going to explain the science behind it. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Amy King has the news for us. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Okay, I want to talk about ASMR because there's actually some real scientific research on it. The letters ASMR stand for Autonomous autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. What the heck is that? Okay, somebody made that up at some point. But there is a huge number of YouTubers online. Uh, More than 13 million ASMR videos on YouTube. And... uh, Okay, how do I describe what it is? Joey, can you help me out? Uh, I mean, uh, from a technical standpoint, I guess it's the introduction of uh, auditory auditory sensations. Right, yeah. So the people who are the ASM artists, as they call themselves, ASM artists, Mm -hmm. um, actually have a special microphone that's a right and left ear microphone, and they move their head from side to side, talking, whispering usually. In your right, his whole face crumpled up when I said that. We'll get there in a second. And they talk either in your right ear or your left ear. And they talk, they whisper. Sometimes they do sound effects like rubbing cotton balls together or Q-tips or thumbs going down a comb, making that soft sound. And it's supposed to induce a feeling of relaxation. Now, some people hear it and just go, so, that's weird. Other people hear it and they actually get a major body response, tingling all the way down their body. So 
my daughter actually does it. She's 15 and she's been doing it for a few years. As, I mean, she doesn't make the ASMR videos. She uses them. She listens to them. And it's now to the point it's the only way she can fall asleep at night. And it really relaxes her. So I've been researching it a lot, trying to figure out like what it is. And there is some new research. So finally, somebody did it. It's the University of Sheffield in, in the UK. And what they found is that people who experience the tingling... Oh, and let me describe what my daughter says it is. She said she feels tingling down the back of her head that goes all the way down her spine to her butt, and her whole body relaxes. I'm not joking. Before there was ASMR in our lives, when she was two and three and couldn't get to sleep, and, you know, most parents would get to read a bedtime story, sing a little lullaby, put them in a warm bath, She'd always say, whisper in my ear, whisper in my ear. So she knew she had this ability or this phenomenon. And I'm like, why? And what do you want me to say? And she would say, S sounds. So I would literally go, and she would laugh and giggle and say, I feel it in my butt, mommy. I feel it in my butt. I'm like, this is too weird. This is freaking me out. I don't think, I think I'm crossing a boundary here. But all I was doing was whispering in her ear. But guess what? It put the darn kid asleep. So who was I to complain, right? Well, eventually, you know, as the internet finds it, us or we find it, she found ASMR. And now she puts that little headset in and goes to sleep every single night to it. Um, so this new research shows that people who do have this tingling experience, this bodily reaction, had significantly reduced heart rates while watching ASMR videos compared to people who don't experience ASMR. Um, and, you know... I have to say that this also, I think, is a form of synesthesia. Synesthesia is kind of, uh, how do we describe it? It's a perceptual phenomenon where if one sense is stimulated along some kind of cognitive pathway, the wires get crossed and it leads to automatically stimulating another sense. So, for instance... There are people out there who can see colors, who can smell sounds. And there are tests online for this. If you want to go look up synesthesia tests, S-Y-N-E-S-T-H-E-S-I-A, synesthesia tests, you can try. I actually took a test a couple hours ago as I was preparing to talk about this, and it showed that I don't have it, at least the visual one. It was asking me to, like, tell me what colors I think numbers should be wouldn't you know that by now if you had it though yeah well you know you say that Amy have you ever listened to an ASMR video I have not they're quite a range in fact we have one that is very much PG-13 that can you give me a sample Josh please do not think that ASMR is sexual at all ASMR itself is not sexual it is biologically not sexual ASMR videos (laughs) Okay, so that is a famous ASMR. Yes, there's such a thing. Her name is ASMR Darling, and I think she started when she was about 18. She's all of like 22 now and has been doing it for a few years. She's got almost 2 million subscribers and almost 10 million views on her videos, and she just whispers all day long. And that That's essentially the, the popular form of ASMR is, yeah. the, is a whispering voice. A whispering voice. Yeah. But when I told you, Joey, today that I wanted to talk about ASMR, you rolled your eyes, scrunched up your face. Why? Why? Uh, because I've I've been following the ASMR movement now for about a year. No, <laughs> it's, it's a movement. That, you know, I get, I think it might be in some in some way. I'm, I've been aware of it for you know about that long, um, and I just it it it's such a, a phenomenon to me. It's bizarre, and it's the reason. And going back to actually what Amy King said, why does she keep saying it's not sexual? It's not sexual. And it's because, and the reason why she keeps saying it is because that is a huge portion of like the ASMR com- community. Now, if there are any ASMRists out there listening to me say that, they'll be, oh no, no, it's not true. It's all, it's 
it's all in good fun and everything. But I'm they also don't a man. know what you're also a man. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so it's funny you said that. How much time do we have, Les, Josh? Because I want to start talking about men. Oh, good, I have time. All right, so this is what's interesting: is that men are more likely to get a sexual arousal response. Mm-hmm. So I'm less worried about my 15 year old daughter yeah. and this 19. 19- oh, by the way, worried. What's wrong with getting a sexual response, everybody? Hello? I mean, are we sex negative here in the world? I mean, okay. And, I mean, is it vocal porn? Are they actually saying graphic things? No. They're actually talking, I mean, I don't know all the Certainly ASMRs. not on YouTube. They're not going to be having, like, explicit stuff like that. No. But, but this Although is the... there is one that, that with the guy oh, you God. played for me earlier <laughs> who just makes licking sounds. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I, that one, okay. That I'll, sounds creepy. I, well, I actually got a little aroused. I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, we got to turn that off. This is this is not for work. I can't play this at the office. This is terrible. <laughs> Something I had noticed, too, was that this guy, he had like 10,000 likes for his his ASMR video. Compare that to this Poor baby. girl. Only 10,000, yeah, right? Compare that to the, the young, attractive female who does it, who has how many likes? Nine, nine million views or something so like that. So does it have saying, a breakdown, though, of how many are men and how many are women? No, we would have to do if you search, Google Analytics on if her. If you just mm-hmm. search ASMR on YouTube, just go through the first 10 pages and see how many men there are doing it. There's, I, I bet you one, 1 to 5% of that is going to be men. And, and, and for those of us who think that 10,000 likes is a big deal, listen, my silly little YouTube videos have more than a million views yeah. on them, right? That's crazy. That's so, great. Um, okay, so when we come back, I want to talk about why men become aroused when a woman's voice gets a little wispy, like in Marilyn Monroe when she sang to the president. Uh, there is some science behind this. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Amy King's got the news for us. Oh, help me, please, doctor. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Again, a call out to follow me online. The handle everywhere is Dr. Wendy Walsh, just Dr. Wendy Walsh, because I love to hear from you. And uh, I love it when I go to the Liftik events, I actually get to meet some of our viewers, which is always so much fun. So we're talking about ASMR, Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response, ASMR. Huge community on YouTube. And the debate is, of course, whether it's for relaxation. People get these brain tingles. And now science is showing that if you are one of those people that gets brain tingles, that listening to ASMR and watching the videos can actually induce a relaxation response. And also in that same study, people reported um, feelings of well-being, reduced depression and anxiety. So it does work for some people, specifically Uh, People who are not neurotypical, whose brains may be wired a different way, maybe people on the spectrum, etc. However, there is also talk that some of this is sexual. And if you listen to some of the ASMR videos, I think some of them are designed specifically to be sexual because there's just a lot of licking sounds, which is kind of creepy. Um, But, you know, if you think about it, men have a particular response to a female voice, especially a female voice that's breathy. Remember this one? That, of course, was the late Marilyn Monroe singing to JFK. And it is a world-famous video of her on stage, breathily, breathily singing happy birthday to him. So, studies have been done on how men, and we mentioned that most of these ASM artists are female, and only a few are male, um, how men respond to women's voices when they are higher-pitched. A couple of studies I want to talk about. One was a telephone study where they all they did is asked men to have conversations with women and just say which voice they found more attractive. Pretty easy, right? And what they discovered is that when the women were ovulating, the men found their voices more attractive. Hmm. So ovulation can actually make a woman's voice go just a little bit higher. I think that's why when we get older, our voice goes a little lower, a little higher. So our estrogen goes up. 
and a little bit breathier. And men respond to that in a sexual way. At least they would say these voices sounded attractive. So another study looked at strippers in nightclubs and why on some nights strippers would make way more tips than other nights. So these, yeah, yeah. So these poor researchers had to spend a lot of time in strip clubs asking women to count their tips and look at their menstrual cycle and see what was going on. And when these strippers would have what they called a bad night and not make as much money, they would usually dismiss it as, oh, I had a bad night. I wasn't on my game. And so originally the researchers thought, well, it probably has to do with Um, Are they gyrating in a certain way based on their menstrual cycle? But they found out something else, that on the days that the strippers were ovulating, during those three or four days a month when the egg comes down, that um, they made far more money in tips. So you think, is it, did they dance differently when they were ovulating? No. The researchers looked at the environment What are most strip clubs? I haven't actually been in one lately, but they tend to be, from what I've read in books, uh, dark, and they tend to be loud. Also, how do strippers make their most money? Not up on a stage in a pole getting $1 bills. No, they make their money doing private lap dances. And how does a stripper market her lap dance? She asks the guy, would you like a lap dance? Now, the club is loud The club is dark, crazy noise going on. How does he hear her say, would you like a lap dance? She has to tell him in his ear. So when she whispers in his ear or yells in his ear, whatever it may be, he is able to unconsciously pick up that she is ovulating. And he tends to, she gets more lap dances because of this. Isn't this fascinating to me? So... As a result, I think that there is definitely a sexual component to ASMR, specifically for men who listen to women ASM artists, because it is, you know, especially in this day and age with the headphones, right? They're right intimately inside your ears with these auditory vibrations. And also the ASM artists tend to be attractive young females, That's what's most common. Now, because it's YouTube, the language is not going to be explicit. It's not pornography uh, as such. But I do believe that some people, a big part of the ASMR community, is getting aroused by it. So that, of course, makes me nervous because I'm like, wait a sec, my daughter, what if she goes down this rabbit's hole? Because the one that she was listening to for years was that young girl, ASMR darling, who says in her opening video that she's definitely... PG safe and is not heard what she does is not sexual at all. Um, but I know my daughter has cruised around the internet because she's gotten bored with some of those. So I just hope she, we have to have a talk. That's what we need to do. She and I, we need to have a talk about this because I hope she hasn't stumbled into some of the weirder things. On the other hand, having said that, what is wrong with being aroused? I remember when I was taking one of my human sexuality classes in graduate school, The professor said, uh, she said, you know, I just want to let everybody know that we're talking about a lot of sexually explicit content in this class. And some of you might find yourselves becoming aroused during class. She said this like a big, like, trigger warning. (laughs) And then she said, and if that happens, cool. Cool. I mean, human sexuality is part of the human condition. All right, when we come back, uh, I have a special guest in the studio who is a psychiatrist who specializes in a certain kind of adolescent, and you're going to want to listen up because this is going to be so interesting. You're listening to The Dr. Wendy Wall Show on KFI AM KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Uh, You know, in about half an hour, I'm going to do my segment, Should I Stay or Should I Go? So if you're in a relationship and you're not quite sure if there's uh, enough warm fuzzies or if there's too many cold pricklies, 
and you want me to weigh in, then give us a call. Starting at about, uh, let's see, 5.30. Okay, I'll, I'll throw the phone number out in the next segment. But about 5.30, hang in there because I'd love to hear from you. Uh, so yesterday I want to tell you a story. I, uh, my daughter, Carrington, happy birthday, turned 20. I know, it's just pinch me. I can't believe it. I did get a lot of social media from people who said, when I posted her pictures and such, I remember her from a baby story. Do you remember that show from TLC? Was it TLC, I think, that aired a baby story? And so they followed couples on their pregnancy through birth. And that was Carrington 20 years ago. I was doing like a pregnancy aerobics class and some producer came in and says, anyone want? And I thought, wow, broadcast quality video of your birth and everything? This would be great keepsake. Of course, I can't find the tape anywhere. Now i got to try to find it. Carrington, 2020. Carrington. (laughs) So you'll never guess what she wanted to do for her birthday. She's going into her third year of college, obsessed with the show RuPaul's Drag Race, which is a good watch if you haven't seen it. So she said she wanted to go to drag brunch at the Abbey in West Hollywood. Now, the Abbey is a world-famous restaurant and bar uh, servicing everybody in the planet, but it happens to be also considered partly a gay bar. And um, drag brunch are where some of these famous drag queens show up and do a performance while we all have brunch. And it is a hoot. It is so much fun. But I got talking to the manager And I was telling him that I teach health psychology at Cal State Channel Islands and that um, I do a lecture on gender and um, talking about some of the chromosomal differences and et cetera, et cetera. And then like 10 minutes later, dude walks up to me and he's like, I just want to thank you so much for what you do for the community. And he gave me a free bottle of champagne. I'm not joking. A whole bottle of champagne. Of course, I was driving. I had to share it with my friends. Uh, because I, you know, I'm very worried about drinking and driving these days. Had I known, I would have taken an Uber. Um, so I want to welcome, as we talk about this topic of gender, and I also said to him, this manager in our conversation, why are these college girls so obsessed with drag queens right now? And I suspect as a psychologist, it's part of their gender identity formation. In other words, they're asking themselves on some deep level, how do I go from girl to woman? Well, let's check with the pros, the ones that go from man to woman. And it is quite a transformation, and they are such artists and amazing performers. Um, So my special guest today, no, is not a drag queen. It is Dr. Dahlia Balsamo. She is assistant clinical professor at University of California, Riverside, also associate training director of psychiatry, psychiatry residency, and most importantly, staff psychiatry for the county of Riverside, Welcome, Dr. Dahlia. Thank you. Um, got to speak up and close to the mic, nice and loud. Hi. But we met through another friend, a psychiatrist friend of mine, and you specialize in trans kids, adolescents, right? Yes, I do. Um, working with transgender kids has been part of my training, and uh, I'm very passionate about working with a transgender community. So before we went on air, we were talking a little bit about the concept of gender. And I believe everything human has a biopsychosocial piece, right? But we have to make a distinction between biological sex, gender, and sexual orientation, because I think people get them all mixed up. So would you define each for me, for please? Sure, yes. And uh, to those three, I also would like um, to add um, gender expression as well. Uh, so basically, biological sex is uh, what you are born with. It's your um, sex assigned at, at birth. And um, we, we can have male, female, and we also have the intersex community. And uh, gender identity, it's your inner sense of gender. And um, again, you, you can have a continuum starting from male to female, but also there are um, people who do not identify necessarily with either gender or they see themselves on a spectrum or they can also be genderqueer uh, or um, switching between genders as well. And um, there is also sexual orientation and that uh, only really refers to whom you're attracted to. Um, so whether or not um, you're attracted to the opposite sex, or if you're um, what also we, we call pansexual. You can Miley be... Cyrus says she's pansexual. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and uh, gender expression is basically what you put out in the world. So you can uh, identify as female, but your gender expression can be uh, completely male. Right. And I actually think, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I saw on a talk show, RuPaul said that his gender is clearly male, but he his gender expression when he's in drag is female, obviously. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So um, tell me about these adolescents. What ages are you seeing in your practice? We see pretty much uh, all ages. Um, well, you, what would be the youngest? Uh, you can have as young as uh, six or seven, actually. Right, yeah. Um, no, I've seen, I you know, I, I'm a mom. I go to yeah. elementary schools. I see kids who have non-conforming gender identity, and it, it gets expressed very early on, obviously. And what is the greatest difficulty for these kids? I mean, obviously, if they're com- if these parents are bringing them to you, the parents must be mostly accepting or trying to understand? Not always. Um, I have parents who are um, accepting. I have parents who are questioning and, you know, w- wondering what's going on. And then I have also have parents who are not accepting at all. And and they bring their uh, kids uh, telling me that they're just concerned and, and their kids is abnormal. And so I, I have a, a range of, of parents come in. Um, a lot of factors come into it. Um, culture or their own sense of gender and what what do you do in your practice yeah so um as you um questioned before so so to answer your previous question you said what is being hard for those kids is really uh fitting in and being accepted for who they are because that's that's basically what we all want we want all to be accepted for who we are and um, what I usually um, try to do is um, have the parents understand, um, educate them. And uh, I have, um, um, it's a graphic. You may have seen it if you download it. For, it's available for everybody. The it's gender bread man? That, but actually we, we don't use that uh, anymore because um, there are some copyright issues. Ah. Uh, so we use the gender unicorn. The gender unicorn. Yes. Shall we look it up online for me? I want to see the gender <laughs> unicorn. Okay. And the gender unicorn comes in uh, several languages. So you can have it in Spanish, Portuguese. I, I, I've actually, you know, distributed in all of those languages. And, and it's a very good tool because it helps um, people conceptualize in an easier way uh, what is really gender expression, what is sexual orientation. And, and what I also see is that it is a spectrum and, and people can fit on different places of the spectrum. Now, it used to be considered a disorder and in some, you know, still in the DSM, gender dysmorphic mm-hmm. disorder. But that's changing. Tell me about that. Yes. Um, so the DSM-4 uh, actually had um, what we called a gender identity disorder, and which has been changed to gender dysphoria in the DSM-5, um, because gender identity disorder had a um, very um, pathological connotation to it. Mm-hmm. So gender dysphoria basically means that, you know, you, you do not identify with again with your um, assigned um, sex at birth Um, but what is interesting is that um, the World Health Organization last week has actually announced that they do not view gender dysphoria as a mental health disorder and they call it a gender dissonance Um, they still have it still has an ICD-10 code and um, the rationale for having the ICD-10 code is uh, to get treatment and also right, in for order to insurance. be able to access treatment. Exactly. Is it, does, this sounds a lot like what uh, gays went through. Right? Exactly. It was first a mental, I can't even think, imagine, but it was considered a mental disorder until like fairly recent, like 70, 1973 maybe? Is that when it was finally taken away? That is correct, oh. yes. Uh, with a DSM-3. With a DSM-3, right. uh, homosexuality was taken out as a um, disorder. Okay, when we come back, when we come back, let's talk about these kids, in particular what they're going through, and let's answer that question that everyone's asking. What causes this? I'm with Dr. Dahlia Balsamo. She's a psychiatrist who specializes in trans adolescents. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Amy King, do you have the news for us? (music) 
KFI AM 640. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you and my guest, Dr. Dahlia Balsamo. She is a psychiatrist who specializes in trans adolescents. And we've been talking about these kids, and I want to play devil's advocate because I know some of my listeners are, uh, Dr. Dahlia, a little skeptical about the gender concept. So what, what if they say, or what do you say to people who might say, this is too young. You have a six-year-old in your office and you're working on helping them change their gender. That's too young. How do you respond? So um, they have actually shown that we develop a sense of gender by the age of three. Uh, a lot of um, developmental psychologists have, have looked at kids and they have noticed that uh, children can recognize gender uh, starting even from, from the ages of two, two and a half. And um, many kids and most of us have, have a sense of our gender by, by three. And many of us by six or seven, we actually, um, what, what we call a gender constancy, uh, meaning like we know what gender we are and we, we, we don't really switch from it. However, in addition to that, um, I should add that there have been also cases when they talk about kids when, when they're younger, uh, they identify with a particular gender, but then when they approach puberty, um, they say, um, no, not necessarily. But And there actually might be biological underpinnings to that. That you might like, you could be born with a condition where someone with external female genitalia who was, you know, labeled female at birth might have undistended testes and testosterone can start to take over at puberty. So there, there are things that can happen at puberty as well that may have biological foundations. Um, yes. Um, that also adds another layer to it. But what I was actually more referring to is um, what they have found in Amsterdam. Um, there was this case study they called the um, resistors and the, the sisters, persisters and the sisters, sorry. And basically meaning like uh, they have noticed over many um, um, kids who were born as female but identified as male, uh, when they reached puberty, they actually said, you know, we are um, women, but our gender expression is male. Um, so the theory behind that and uh, is that a lot of it has to do also with society and how society lets us express mm-hmm. our gender. Um, and, and I'm sure that's what you're dealing with in the psychiatry area is really how this gender, how these children who are trying to express their gender are received by their peers. Yes. And um, and I can tell you it is very difficult. Um, I mean, we, 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 we all had moments and instances, I'm, I'm pretty sure, uh, I mean, at least for most of us in school where uh, we felt very vulnerable and we wanted to be accepted as who we are. And uh, in a way, uh, you know, we, we felt uh, people made us feel excluded or different. Um, when a child is a transgender, um, the main issue is that a lot of times um, they're, they, they make it teased by their peers or their parents may not understand them or um, their teachers may, may, may what, what we call misgender them, meaning like they're they're using a pronoun the wrong that pronoun. The, the wrong pronoun, uh, and um, that can be very very debilitating. I mean, just imagine spending your day to day, you know, explaining yourself to others, uh, you know, telling people this is who I am and, 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 and society constantly invalidating you. Yeah. So it's, you know, if you're trying to imagine it and we have to wrap up now, but I, yeah. and thank you so much for coming, but it's like, imagine somebody, you know, whatever your gender identity mm-hmm. is, imagine somebody saying to you, no, you're not that. Exactly. You need to wear different clothes. You need to talk differently. You need to do a different job. We are not going to put up with that gender that you think you have. Like, imagine that someone just walked up to me and said, you're a man. And I'm like, no, I like to be a girl. <laughs> exactly. And um, I uh, we, um, I myself feel myself fortunate. I am, uh, you know, that, that, that I have um, this, you know, I, I can, you know, we, we, we have to 
recognize that we have the privilege of actually just not having anybody questioning our gender, but but um, p- people who are transgender, um, their their sense of gender identity is just as valid and as real as our sense of gender identity. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Dahlia Balsamo. From She's a psychiatrist who works with trans kids. Uh, listen, when we come back, let me take your calls. Are you in a relationship wondering should you stay or should you go? Call 1-800-520-1KFI. That's one 800 Five two zero one five three four. Joey's going to open the lines right now, and let's talk about your relationship, shall we? You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM six forty. Amy King, you got the news for us. Darling, you got to let me know. Stay or should I go? KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. And every second week we do our Should I Stay or Should I Go segment. Are you in a relationship and you're not sure? Is it going to work out or not? Why not have a semi-professional weigh in on it? Call 1-800-520-1KFI. You know, on alternate weeks, you probably recall, I do my drive-by makeshift dream analysis. And that was last week. So, uh, David and Rosarito, if you're still listening, remember you promised to do that little flyby into my dreams. Just saying. Uh, okay, so uh, Joey's in screening calls right now, so it'll be a couple minutes. I see the line starting to light up. The number is 1-800-520-1KFI. That's 1-800-520-1534. So, uh, let me say this about relationships. If you're not sure... That the person you're with is the one. There could be many reasons for that. It could be that your own model for love is a little bit fuzzy. And remember, we create a blueprint for love inside our heads in really the first year of life when our brain triples in size, but also other early relationships that we have. And then we go out in our adult romantic lives and we just try to find somebody who will fit in with our blueprint for love. And our love might have been filled, our early life, our early life love might have been filled with longing, pain, fear, mistrust. But we will still go out unconsciously. Now, none of this is conscious, by the way. I was trying to explain this to a friend at the drag brunch at the Abbey yesterday. And he was like, but I don't think when I go out that I'm going to, no, you don't think about it. Because the unconscious drives the car. It's like you're in the backseat trying to tell the driver to take you to these places of pleasure and meet these people who will make you happy. But instead, that driver just takes you back to familiar feelings. And we will always go, as humans, we have a a repetition compulsion, as Freud said. We are always going to repeat what is familiar before we try something new in relationships. So a lot of us get into these relationships that feel familiar but not really happy and I should say as a little caveat there that relationships aren't supposed to make you happy relationships probably won't make you happy however happy people tend to have happy relationships so it really is an inside job that we have to do the work first right before we we do that um so Having a healthy relationship is partly about finding the right mate, but I say that really carefully because relationships are a whole lot more about skill than they are about luck. Uh, Let's take our first call as we're talking about relationships. Hi, Maria. Maria, it's Dr. Wendy. Hi, Dr. Wendy. How are you? I'm doing well. What's going on in your relationship? Okay, so I'm dating a coworker. Uh Uh-huh. We're not supposed to be dating anyway. Already a problem. Uh Uh-huh. <laughs> Although it makes it sexy, doesn't it? When you're hiding it. Yep. And I need to figure out how to end it on good uh, terms. Ah. And you are calling the woman who helped pave the way to the, for the Me Too movement. Uh, we don't want this to turn into an HR nightmare. Exactly. That's important. So um, I, I, I'm of two minds because I really believe, I don't believe in lying. And I believe in, you know, being as honest as we can, being an open book. And so there's a piece of me that says, go to HR first and basically say, look, I'm messed up. I'm in this relationship. We're going to be breaking up, but I'm not, it's not going to put any stress on my work or the workplace or whatever, just to kind of put them on alert. Um, Because if it does, you know, 
relationships in the workplace aren't usually the problem. It's breakups in the workplace that are the problem. People want to, you know, don't want to work in the same. Do you work directly with this person? No, different area of the building. Oh, good. Um, well, I do say this. Break up in person, not by text, not, or maybe maybe by phone. But if you're going to have to see each other every day anyway, mm-hmm. you might as well practice during the breakup. Um you're sure this person doesn't have an anger management problem or anything? No, he doesn't. Oh, okay, then you don't have to worry about, you know, oh, keeping yourself safe. You can just tell them. And um, and do you, what's the reason for the breakup? Why do you think you're not a good match for the long term? Um, because when we initially got together, I've known him for like six years. Uh-huh. We've only been dating for two months. Uh-huh. And it was mainly because I'm doing school so i'm so occupied i have no time for anything and it was mainly like uh are you available i'm available it's hook up yeah and i'm I, i'm done with that yeah i think that's that's all you need to just say the truth is just say you know what this was a really important transitional relationship for both of us uh-huh. and i think there was a time that we both needed each other and um i don't think for the long term that this is going to be healthy for me that's all you have to say it's hard, but you got to do it because the process of finding love is eliminating all the ones who can't love you back. Maria, good luck to you. Thank you so much for calling. All right, let's go to Greg. Greg in Newport Beach. Hi, it's Dr. Wendy. Hi, how are you? Good. What's going on with your relationship? Well, um, I've been married. This, it'll, be, it'll be 25 years in August. Wow, congratulations. That's a successful marriage. It's been um, tough, though. I've got mm. two grown children out of the house, and um, my wife travels for work, so I'm home alone a lot, which I like. I'm okay. I like to go fishing, so it takes my time. But my she she has a drinking issue, and uh. over the last, like, 10 years, I've kind of given her the ultimatum once or twice that you got to stop or this isn't working, and... She'll stop for a while and then get right back to it. Her problem is, is that once she starts, she can't seem to stop until she's falling down drunk. And it's not just, you know, it's if we're home alone, it's every every night, it's a half a bottle of wine or a bottle of wine. Okay, know. so I'm going to be quick with you. This isn't about necessarily leaving her. It's about doing an intervention and doing and dealing with her addiction because you don't even know who you're married to anymore. She's gone. She's not there if she's using alcohol to this degree, if she's abusing alcohol. So I think you need to reach out and get help. My first step for you, Greg, would be to reach out to a licensed clinical therapist and go and talk about ways that you can do this intervention for your wife. Because, you know, it sounds like if you invested 25 years in this relationship, you have two kids. You're not just going to leave her. Uh, You love her. And so you're going to find a way to help her and then make a decision whether you want to be married with this person. But she has to come back into life and the relationship and be here. And I'm so sorry you're going through this, Greg. It's a tough one. But I would reach out to a therapist for sure, you alone first, and create a strategy together. All right, we have other calls waiting. And if you'd like to give me a call, you can at 1-800-520-1KFI. Should I stay or should I go? Hang in there over the commercial. I'll be right back. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Amy King has the news. Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? KFI AM 640. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. We're into the home stretch of the show. It's always so sad to say goodbye, but I've got a few callers waiting that I want to talk to. Uh, if you're interested, I did put, or Joey put the gender unicorn on my social media, did you? So all my social is Dr. Wendy Walsh, D-R, Wendy Walsh. Uh, okay, so let's go to Amanda in Lake Elsinore. Hi, Amanda, it's Dr. Wendy. Hi. Hi, what's going on? Um, well, basically, kind of just to sum everything up, um, within been together with my partner for um, going on nine years this year. Mm-hmm. Um, within the past four years, I've completed pharmacy school and I've established myself as a pharmacist already. Mm-hmm. However, during those four years, my partner hasn't been able to kind of improve himself on his career or even his um, income. Mm-hmm. So kind of been a tough situation as to whether, you know, should I stay in the long run? I'm advancing my career. However, he's kind of held back. Okay. So nine years you've been together. How many years mm-hmm. have you been living together? 
Um, so far, just one. One year. Oh, so there's a lot of pressure all of a sudden. Any children? Yeah. No children. No kids. Um, we recently got engaged possibly like a year, two years ago. Oh, so you've been engaged for two years. But is there yeah. a wedding actually being planned? Not as of yet. Um, currently, I purchased a house. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a little bit of an issue as well. Right. Okay. Do you want to have a family? Uh, yes, eventually. May I ask how old you are? I'm 31. 31. Okay. So we got a lot of issues here. First of all, we yeah. have gender role issues. We have, uh, you know, nine-year itch issues. Um, and we got the income and the one moving forward and one not. So I I will say this, that it is a whole new world for women, and we've got to get used to the fact that we're not all going to get a provider in our man. And relationships are an exchange of care, and that care can take many forms. It can be financial care. It can be emotional support care. It can be intellectual stimulation care. It can be sexual care, uh, domestic responsibility care, child care, right? Mm -hmm. These are all the things we exchange in a relationship. And now women know full well, though, that even though they are the breadwinner, when it comes time to becoming a mother, they're going to end up with double duty unless we can get a guy who's really going to be such an involved stay-at-home dad. And I know you're out there, you stay-at-home dads. Thank you. I worship you. This is amazing uh, (laughs) that you're helping out so much. But I think the real issue that I'm hearing more than anything is that you've grown. You're moving forward in your life. It's, it doesn't, I, I don't know if my instinct is correct here, but it's almost like you are wondering if you've outgrown him. And I don't hear worry about motherhood and the pressures to support him. It's mm-hmm. more just, is he going to stay an intellectual peer with you as you change social life and move forward. Yeah. So, I I mean, I can't discredit him though, because he is slowly trying to improve himself, but it's just not at the rate that I was hoping it would be at. Right. And the other thing is when you nag any human to improve, it's Mm -hmm. like watering the weeds in your garden instead of watering the flowers. Right. So the way to help someone grow is to compliment them. And then they're, you know, we are pleasure seekers and people pleasers. And so we reward good behavior and ignore bad behavior and you grow the good behavior more. But there's a lot of pressure on you right now because Mm -hmm. you've just moved in. You've been engaged for two years. So it's like, are you going to get on with this and plan a wedding or not? Right. And then you're 31 and you're well into your fertility window here pushing in and you're thinking, well, how long would it take me to meet somebody else, etc.? So let me turn it to you. Do you think you should stay or should you go? Um, my heart tells me to stay. Well, then that's your um, answer. I think yeah. you two should go to couples therapy and you should voice this. This, I, you know, I need you to step up because I want to be a mother someday and hopefully take care of my baby, right? Mm-hmm. And, and if you are feeling pressure about being the financial leader, talk about it. I mean, talk about things. It's amazing how you can grow in intimacy just by talking things through. And then you'll also come closer to making this decision. Right. Yeah, because I don't hear, believe me, if you were ready to throw in the towel tomorrow, I would have picked up on that and, <laughs> and supported that. But I don't actually hear that. So yeah. Okay, Amanda, thank you so much for calling. I really appreciate it. All right, let's go to Yvette. We have very little time, but let's see how we're doing. Hi, Yvette in San Bernardino. It's Dr. Wendy. Hi, how are you? Good. Since we only have a little time, can you tell me real quick what's going on? Okay, really quick. So I've been with uh, my boyfriend now for about seven years. We do have a son together. And my problem is that I feel like ever since we had or like since I told him that I got pregnant, Mm -hmm. he has totally disconnected from me. Not from my son. When he was born, my son gets a lot of love from both of us. But for some reason, I became like a roommate. And that's kind of where we're at a standstill. But, you know. Okay, so how old is the baby? He's five. Five. These are the hardest years in any relationship. Everybody hear me. These are the hardest years in any relationship with small kids in the house. And you've chosen not to get married? 
Okay, that's a funny story. That's a kind of a long window, but we did get married. We had a beach wedding, but oh. I forgot to turn in the paper. <laughs> oh, oh, you yeah, know what? I guess Sigmund I guess Freud would <laughs> Sigmund Freud would have something to say about that. Okay, <laughs> it's like you went all the way, but then, oops, I just accidentally forgot to close the deal. Um, that's interesting and something that you might want to analyze. So I want to say this: that talking about things, I say this over and over again is most important. Nagging is not talking. Talking is talking about your feelings, talking about, you know, if you want a king of the castle, you better put a crown on his head, right? You better be like, you know, I love you. You're such a good dad. And I love what you do for our son. And I'm starting to feel like we're just roommates. And and then bring him in. What can we do together to make our relationship better? How can we improve this? So I think you guys need to do some talking because there's a kid in the nest, and right now, your needs are actually not as important as your baby's. I'm sorry. So stick it out and make it better. I think you can do it, Yvette. I really do. Thank you so much for calling. And thank you for listening, everybody, to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show. I'm here every Sunday from 4 to 6 and on Wednesdays uh, uh, with Gary and Shannon. And uh, you can find me online, and I've got lots of information out there. Thanks for being with me. I really appreciate that. We get to spend this time together. You're listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Our Mo Kelly award-winning Mo Kelly is next.